Klaivu sponsors the Replatform podcast. Check out Klaivu Smart Search in Action on replatform.fm to help you find the podcast you're looking for. In other news, we've written a guide with input from James and Paul, replatforming tips for in-house e-commerce teams. Download free at klaivu.com slash replatform. Welcome back to the Replatform podcast. It's myself, James Gerd, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent, yes. Um, as we were discussing earlier, both of us enjoying the fun of house moving, um, which is not fun at all. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like ages since we've recorded a podcast. Yeah, yes. Uh, and that's why I'm really glad to have an hour out of worrying about solicitors. So let's let's <laughs> set up what we're going to talk about today and we'll introduce you all to our guests. So thanks, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about what are the real benefits of microservices and packaged business capabilities, PBCs for e-commerce. Um, and you might be thinking, why are we talking about that? So basically, the, the, the scene is this. Technology evolves, and there's a lot of talk in the industry about modern architecture versus monolithic systems. There's a trend towards decoupling legacy systems and moving to more flexible design based on APIs, microservices, and cloud-based technology. But however, all these changes comes new jargon, and often the conversation can add complexity rather than simplifying the message. Um, for example, composable commerce is the mode as you're at the moment. Moving away from large legacy systems also presents risk. It's a step into the relatively unknown for many orgs, and there's inevitable concerns about stability, scalability, performance, and what it really does mean. For example, does it change the operational uh, requirements of the business? So today's episode, we want to help by providing practical insights to help people not only understand terminology, but grasp practical applications and benefits for e-commerce. So the focus today is on microservices and PBCs, packaged business capabilities, which are essentially compilations of services to deliver business functionality. Uh, and Gartner defines packaged business capabilities as software components representing the well-defined business capability. So having recently worked with market leading vendor Spryker and the client and been impressed with their system design and platform, I reached out to the team to, to get them to provide a clear context for the business benefit of microservices, APIs, and PBCs. So we're going to do some jargon busting today. So welcome to Replatform, um, Boris Lockchain, who's CEO of Spryker. Welcome, Boris. Uh, thank you very much for having me, James. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to join us. And also, let's welcome uh, Michael Vax, who's the founder of Commerce Digital Consultancy and who works closely with the Spryker team. Welcome, Michael. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting. Yeah, very glad you could join us too. Um, excellent. I've been really enjoying our conversations over the last few months, and I know that people are going to learn a lot today. So let's before we start asking you annoying questions, let's start with um, Boris, if you could introduce... Like what you do, and what Spryker does, and then Michael, if you can then talk about what you, what you do and your background. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so Spryker is a, uh, the fastest growing commerce technology uh, platform uh, at the moment. Uh, it was designed for um, what we call sophisticated non-commodity uh, transactional business model. So we are very much focused on uh, enabling B2B enterprise marketplace, unified commerce, subscription, IoT commerce related use cases. So whenever it becomes a little bit more, uh, you know, sophisticated than just selling t-shirts online, uh, then I think, you know, plat the, the Spryker platform is the best, is the best choice from a, you know, technology point of view. Uh, if you look at it, it's a, it's a pass offering. So we take care of the cloud. We take care, of course, of the platform. We also take care of the application layer, but we still allow you for customization and you know differentiation, uh, which we think, again, in talking to the non-yet commoditized and sophisticated business models, verticals, uh, such as manufacturing, uh, you know, online groceries, you know, pharma, uh, et cetera. 
this is this is crucial. This is important. You can't just you know give them a platform and and let them just innovate on top of APIs only. This is not not sufficient. Uh, and we would typically work with with large uh, large clients, what we call tier one. Uh, so it can be everyone from uh, you know Toyota to Siemens, um, you know Rico, uh, Aldi, etc. In the world, uh, and uh, we're very excited, you know, to help <coughs> uh, to help them to you know build uh, sophisticated transactional business models in the end. Fantastic. Thank you for the introduction. And Michael, how about yourself? Let's let's give people a flavor for, for who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I'm uh, doing e-commerce for uh, quite a substantial amount of time and work for a uh, number of uh, exciting uh, vendors. Uh, uh, and my last position was as VP of product was, uh, with Spryker. Uh, before, I also worked for uh, Hybris, SAP, uh, Elastic Pass, and some others. Um, and now I uh, founded Commerce Digital, whose goal is to close uh, the skill gaps uh, that exist for digital commerce. There's many businesses who need uh, training and upskill their team. So I, I offer consultancy as well as uh, uh, digital commerce training, digital commerce training for B2B businesses and retailers. Great. Um, so I'll ask the first question. So Spryker, as you already mentioned, is positioned as a unified commerce platform. Um, so there's a lot of jargon in our, our industry. So can you just talk us through what unified means in the context of an e-commerce platform? Yeah, sure. So unified commerce coverage, you know, from a capability point of view, is is you know one. Uh, uh, capability of the platform, as I said, uh, you know, we do cover B two B, B two C, unified commerce, and enterprise marketplaces, which I think is a unique, unique combination. That space, you know, that that um, all of these uh, capabilities are provided out of the box. Um, you know, talking about unified commerce in general, it's in in, in essence, it's it's the practice of providing uh, flexibility and continuity and consistency across digital and physical channels, uh, to deliver at the end a superior customer experience. I think this is, you know, uh, the nature uh, of it. Uh, generally, uh, you know, when, when talking about unified commerce, people are referring to retail customers, even though it's not, it's not kind of limited to retail only. And, you know, unified commerce is, is creating a common experience for customers across online and offline channels and, you know, uh, helps to connect brick and mortars and and um, you know and enable enable a seamless flow of customer records orders uh, customer purchase histories uh, uh, you know discounts loyalty programs etc it's not easy to implement it's extremely critical for merchants you know uh, especially nowadays you know during corona where you know i think we all saw uh, uh, you know offline uh, offline retail uh, um, struggling uh, and you know, at the same time, you know, uh, the online competitors, uh, you know, rising. So I think bringing it together and basically giving the customer the best of both worlds. Because at the end, we we as customers, we don't think in channels. I think this is very important. This is a very and a very inside out kind of thinking, you know, from uh, from uh, from the businesses. But as a customer, you don't think in channels, right? You just buy something online and then you 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 go back to the store. You just want to return and change the size. You know, you you don't want to uh, end up in two different hotlines. Uh, you know, if you have an issue, so you expect you know uh, this entire technical like technology and data complexity uh, to be handled in the in, in the background for you. That makes sense. And I guess what are some of the most common challenges you see for businesses that aren't using a unified solution so what impact does that then have on the business and the customers um, and what are some of the issues that you solve by using a platform like spryker 
Yeah, I think a very important one is definitely, you know, avoiding customer churn uh, because customers, you know, they leave to buy from other stores when when, the, when 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 other experiences are superior, right? So this is this is already proven. The pandemic has shown that customers are willing to switch, you know, brands uh, uh, for better experiences, often because there was no other way to buy, right? So avoiding of churn and just losing customers is definitely definitely one. Another one is adding new products and you know product content across all the channels. You know at the same time, so basically having some synergies uh, for you internally as a team. You know to publish content, manage product data, etc., and then uh, acknowledge that different channels, maybe even di- different devices, might even target different cohorts of customers and users. So it's not you know always the same. You might find some cohorts that are very uh, uh, you know. That, that would appreciate such an experience. Other customers or other customer cohorts would be online pure cohorts only. So uh, you know, uh, dealing with those, uh, but having the synergy in the back end uh, in a centralized way, uh, and you know, getting all the purchase histories, getting all the product and content related informations, I think this is important. Dynamically uh, changing marketing, you know, discounts, pricing, incentive programs. Uh, across all channels, I think this is uh, um, you know a challenge that businesses typically have uh, to make sure that you know the loyalty programs and discount programs they roll out that you know uh, in a dynamic you know ever changing world that they work cross channel. And I think uh, maybe on a more method- from a more method- methodology point of view, uh, you know the overall uncertainty right that you, you don't know because everyone says we do live in a customer centric time. But you know, being customer centric ultimately also means that you have to accept uncertainty. You don't know how your customers will want to buy, how they will want to return, how they will want to explore products. So you you need all these you know modern you know MVP NVP kind of approaches, constant iteration, trial and error, etc. Uh, and this is of course much much harder to do if you are dealing with a cross-channel, multi-channel, uh, or unified commerce strategy. Uh, um, so, so this is definitely something that we also see businesses struggling with, and um, you know, Michael is also consulting. You know, a lot of customers. I, um, I guess he has also also a good perspective on this one. Here. Yeah, to add to what Boris uh, uh, said, um, I can give you a concrete example of what you cannot implement uh, if you don't have unified commerce approach. Uh, it's like, uh, quite common for uh, retailers with a big uh, and extended retail location network uh, that you're coming to the uh, website on the shop and they can offer you availability of products online and as well as availability of product into nearby uh, shops. They may ask for a zip code to determine your location and so on. So if you don't have this unified view, you you just practically cannot do it because you don't know the stock into retail location. So you can send customer off saying, okay, go to this my store, just to customer to be disappointment. So some functionality is just uh, impossible to implement if you don't have unified uh, data and unified commerce approach. Excellent. I'd be useful to explore a few more of those features and capabilities before we, we drive, drive into the package business capability side. But what are the key features that, that merchants you work with um, make use of um, from a unified commerce point of view? And, and what are the benefits to them? So you've touched on one. Can you give us a few other practical examples? Sure. Michael, you want to go first? Um, 
Sure. Um, like uh, one of the things that you really uh, uh, need to implement is kind of this omnichannel order management system. So if if company is relying on the uh, ERP to manage to manage uh, sometimes even product information, definitely inventory and prices, uh, it's uh, super difficult to add these new channels, connect them to ERP because uh, changing ERP people are reluctant. It's a master of financial data uh, and as well as very expensive and they're just not flexible uh, enough. So I would say that uh, omnichannel order management uh, is definitely uh, something very um, important. And then centralizing customer data. And so now there are special systems who can be, uh, which can be used to basically bring this data together and have uh, kind of master knowledge of about your customers. Yeah, and on top, I would maybe say that you know merchants typically want to enable or to enhance integrations with you know store operations so including the you know buy online pick up and store click and collect curbside pickup you know show uh, near store locations inventory of each store etc right so so this kind of functionality definitely definitely something that needs to be built and integrated and and, and that we you know typically would see in a unified commerce uh, in a unified cameras uh, uh, scenario, same goes for the front end, right? So because unified cameras also mean it's not necessarily uh, online and offline only. It can also be you know multiple channels, you know across uh, uh, you know just a digital channel. So integrating with multiple uh, you know um, uh, mobile devices, for example, with social channels, you know especially uh, companies who you know would have some presence in. Uh, in Asia, where you know social commerce and conversational commerce is is really really strong, so you might have a social commerce strategy, a conversational commerce strategy. You know, you might have your own shop. You might be selling on on uh, you know other people's marketplaces, etc. Uh, so all of the, of this are, are typical typical unified commerce scenarios. Excellent. Yeah, uh, good examples. Uh, another question I got related to that is one of the challenges I see when I speak to to, to e-commerce teams is when when people are considering moving technology. It's that oh my god the effort we're, we're used to working in this way what what's going to be the the key challenges so what preparation does an e-commerce business do if it's moving from kind of legacy systems to a more unified approach so let's let's look at things like data management um, what do you currently come across as as some of the challenges and what can people do to be ready to to get the data in the right place. Yeah, I think it starts with um, you know customer centricity at first. Uh, I think this is from 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 my and our everyday experience. You know, working with with customers worldwide. This is it sounds easy, but this is it's really really important. So many or uh, uh, way too many, I would say, uh, unified commerce projects nowadays do start again from an inside out view, right? And then we try to explain ourselves, or the, the businesses try to explain themselves on why things are hard and how to connect and move data left and right. So I think we should always be reverse engineering backwards from from the customer and how the customer perceives, uh, you know, a certain you know experience or a certain you know way of doing something. And you know, data. So you mentioned data. This is you know certainly very important and definitely a major contributor to a great customer experience. So you know, the unification of data. It's it's a project in itself, right? Sometimes uh, channels would have channel specific. You know, information just for the customer records. You would have one. Uh, you you would be missing. You know, in, in conversational commerce, you would have you know phone numbers in the retail store. You 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 maybe don't know the customer well enough, or just have loyalty cards. You might collect much more. You know, uh, uh, you, much you might enrich the customer data set while engaging with the customer online. So the the data unification is definitely something that we see a lot, and where businesses need a, a learning curve to to unify it. You know, then the, the omnichannel buying piece is is it's important to not 
um, you know, overplay it maybe from the beginning. So to if you are dealing with three, four, five channels in the end, you know, add channel channels like one by one. So build an architecture that that in general supports a unified common strategy, but you know, integrating channels and setting them up always comes with efforts, right? Such as, for example, training people for in customer service, training people, uh, you know, doing adjustment on the order management side, uh, on, on the finance side. So, you know, I would, I would, I would do it one by one and not, you know, overplay it. And of course, the critical again, customer centric, uh, uh, you know, touch points such as, for example, handling returns, right? So this is a very it's a use case that every one of us understands well, right? So we buy something and then we want to return it in the, in the store nearby. I want to pick it up, which change the size. I think this is this is very very critical, and this is where often businesses, you know, forget to think through the entire customer experience, where they focus a lot on the sell, on the selling, you know, part of the customer journey, but not on the, the after sale. Right? What happens with returns? What happens with when customer want, wants to, you know, re- rebuy the same product, what happens with customer support if they call us up? What happens if, you know, payments are not done? What happens if they do have an offline gift card they, they purchase and they want to redeem redeem it as, as part of the transaction, right? So all these kind of things need to be taken care of. Uh, and just uh, want, uh, uh, to add to this, I, I'm now working with one of the customers uh, who are moving basically the process from ERP, they want to add uh, online component. And uh, they are surprised how dirty the data are in the ERP. Because uh, we know, we all know, and I'm sure, James, you encountered many times in your consulting practices that um, data accumulates and something that made uh, sense like five years ago, 10 years ago may not uh, have uh, sense any right now. So it's a good question about preparation. And I think that one of the important steps in preparation is just look at your existing data and clean them up before you start moving them. Right. And um, so another question for me. So in my experience, which is mostly from talking to different people from Invika, from talking to James, um, Spryker is associated with complex B2C as well as B2B. Um, so one question I thought I would ask is, um, is mixed basket a common uh, requirement that you see? Is that is that a common kind of use case for Spryker? And then equally, what are some of the other kind of, you know, really complex B2C scenarios that Spryker kind of helps to solve? Yeah, first of all, let me maybe, <laughs> let me maybe uh, correct one thing. So I, I, I I don't I I don't like the word complex, right? So so because because it, it sounds unnecessarily uh, unnecessarily negative. So you know we refer to it as, as sophisticated, right? Because I think this is where the differentiation is. You know when you talk about unified commerce, you're talking about a you know a global uh, groceries food retailer, right? They have a very very sophisticated. It's not it's not necessarily complex. It's just a sophisticated business model, right? They have a, a lot of third party systems to integrate with. They have offline. They have online connections. They have you know tons of devices touch points, a lot of, you know, country specific, uh, uh, you know, things to take care of. So it's a sophisticated digital, you know, transactional model. It's, 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 uh, um, so, so I would, I would rather prefer, prefer this, this, uh, terminology. When it, comes, <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to the unified commerce, uh, sorry, when it comes to the, the, you know, persistent, uh, basket. So, so, um, there are different ways, uh, you know, how you can solve it. And it's definitely a requirement, you know, uh, using, you know, a phone number or an email could be, of course, uh, you know, good, unique identifiers to be used. You know, they should require, you know, very simple validation. I think this is the key thing here, you know, for example, setting a basket 
code or you know a, a QR uh, to email or per SMS, yeah, right? Uh, and then of course you need to take care of security and how to make sure that you know all these keys are not get lost and you know are used in the right in the right way. Um, so so yeah, you know uh, a unified unified card, unified basket, persistent basket is definitely a you know key key requirement feature. Um, and actually, uh, Spryker has a, a very cool feature. It was developed uh, for B2B, but I think it's a good, uh, direct answer to your, to your question. Um, in Spryker, you can share your card. And uh, this was done for B2B where people need to do it. But in general, what it means is that you can generate URL to your car, to your card. And it can be protected by uh, password if necessary. So you need to be authenticated or it can be uh, public. So basically, it means that you can create QR code for your card. And then you can go and uh, take it with you on your mobile phone. Great. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, and with the kind of unified offering, uh, you talk a bit, and already we've talked a bit about PBCs. Uh, so kind of continuing with that kind of jargon um, or like, yeah, kind of removing the jargon. Um, what is a PBC and how does it differ from a microsurface? For, and what is the kind of benefit of, uh, and what are the differences in benefits to end users? Yeah, let me try to make it, I mean, not super technical, you know, given that your audience, you know, is is, is maybe uh, is maybe mixed. So PBC or package business capabilities is a you know term that Gartner you know framed and that that you know we refer to. It's basically the you know uh, modularity uh, you know nature of of at least our platform. There are some platforms. I think everyone by now understood that you know monolithic applications platforms are not the the right way you know going forward. So now you know if you now try to break up a monolithic application, there are a lot of different ways uh, on how to do this. You know, and some people. Unfortunately, have invested a lot of time and effort in, you know, uh, in in uh, convincing the market that the only way of you know not having a monolithic application is basically going microservice, which is not true. It's it's in fact very dangerous to say this because I think more than 95, 96% of the digital business worldwide can't master a micro a truly a truly microservice based architecture, which is good on paper, you know, but in reality very hard to implement. So for the PBCs, you know, uh, typically if you uh, referring to package business capabilities, those would be independently deployable capabilities that that would include self-contained business data and logic and process and processes to perform a certain business function, right? So they would interact uh, via APIs and or event channels. A good example would be a product management, you know, package business capability, right? So it's not a microservice. It's not a microservice for, you know, a very, very small micro kind of functionality. And it's also not a feature. You would aggregate features into this PBC uh, and, you know, make it again self-deployable. It would come with, uh, you know, uh, own data storage, APIs. It would be, f- be fully decoupled, right? Uh, and, and you know, therefore, uh, you know, enable you on a higher aggregation level not to take care of, you know, versions, not to take care of, uh, you know, um, uh, gluing together all these microservices and, you know, figuring out whether they do work together or not. On the other side, you know, microservices are also decoupled and self-contained, but represent, you know, very, very micro cameras functions typically, right? So independently consumable, you know, functions. So it's, it's basically much, much more, uh, less aggregated. And if you are, I mean, I think all of us have been in these, you know, customer requirements uh, of workshops and sessions. Customers don't think in modules. They don't think in microservices. They don't think in, you know, versions and, and you know, uh, they don't want to orchestrate, you know, the, the API uh, uh, layers on top of that, right? Um, 
they, if you talk to them in the best of breed or composable cameras world, what a customer can tell you is, look, I, I do have a very good PIM, right? Or I want to buy the best of breed PIM for my business. I don't want your PIM capability, right? Or I, I want to use your CMS capability or not. They, wanna, they don't want to break it down to the actual microservice, which is the task of the implementation development teams to figure it out in the end. So um, again, you know, a PPC would consist out of, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a bounded collection uh, with, you know, uh, some data schema and set of, actually a set of services. And if you implement those well, then the functionality is very, you know, complete and ensures an autonomy uh, with with no critical external dependencies, basically, uh, because you know, again, data and business logic is always within the PBC. So, explore that a little bit further. Um, what would be really useful is: can you give us an example of what would be a standard PBC that a platform like Sprite provides out of the box versus a custom? package business capability a client has created using your data model services and APIs or that you've created for a client? Yeah, so typically this is maybe uh, also an important uh, you know, remark. In the PBC, you know, composable cameras in the world, you would have your own PBCs that you as a vendor provide to the customer, you know, but the customer is still free to choose also other third-party PBCs or even add, you know, their own ones, right? And as I said, uh, you know, a good example could be for Spryker could be the Spryker program management capability that groups together basically all functionalities that are needed to set up a product catalog, you know, everything from, you know, managing the product data, displaying it, zooming it, filtering it. Uh, so it's a combination of, of, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 product management related features in one, uh, in one capability, right? Um, you know, for B2B, there might be packaging, measurement units, you know, uh, uh, every type of catalog management, all under one PBC umbrella. And another example for what is typically, for example, being being uh, built uh, in a custom way in B2B scenarios, often we see pricing engines being a very good isolated custom PBC because, you know, B2B pricing logic for, for these companies is very, you know, unique. Uh, you know, it, it, it relies and depends also on some backend systems. So this could be a very good, you know, PBC to be built by a customer themselves. And then in addition, just to complement the picture, right, uh, some third-party PBCs that are, are, are widely used would be something like maybe an external search, product recommendations, product configurators, maybe, you know, subscription services, reportings, dashboards, all, all kinds of things. And, and this ultimately, you know, and again, referring back to, you know, uh, you know, some of the analysts, it, PBCs are actually designed to help you increase speed and adoption, you know, and make sure that, you know, you, you uh, enable new business models faster that you can, you know, exchange components uh, and, and in the best of breed world, just select the, the very best, you know, capability for every functional domain. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. Uh, um, to help people understand is that, that packaged business capabilities don't just involve the functionality that a, a e-commerce vendor like Spryker provides, but you can wrap in third-party tools as well to deliver the user experience that you want. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice nice distinction for people. Um, and so we've we've talked about the, the the term monolith has come up a few times. 
And a lot of vendors and analysts differentiate between monoliths and then the more flexible, modern, like API microservice-based approaches. Can you put this in layman's terms for anyone listening who's still not quite sure? What do we mean by a monolith? Why is it a monolith? And what can a business do with a like a services and PBC approach that a monolith just can't enable? If you want, I can take this one. Um, yeah, so uh, again, now we're talking about uh, more uh, in, the, in, the, in the technical uh, term, yeah? Uh, but um, the main thing, and this was a concept uh, five, uh, ten years ago, that uh, the vendor in the e-commerce uh, space who wins should provide everything. So people were buying companies uh, uh, to add capabilities or just continue to develop. And the message to the market was, okay, with us, you're buying one license and you're getting all, all of this together. And this is actually good for you because you don't need to have additional contract, learn additional systems and, and so on. So this is why uh, many uh, legacy e-commerce vendors have this approach. They actually developed this monolith because that was how it was sold and this is how its benefits were positioned uh, to the customers. But also what, what, what right now, what markets are uh, shown that people actually want best of breed because um, technology, especially with cloud business, allows some companies to focus, to provide specific, be best in some particular category, you have best PIM or be, uh, best uh, CMS, and customers want to be able to um, choose. And systems that was designed in Monolith just cannot do it because it's uh, much easier to change your marketing materials than actually modify software. In many cases, you cannot split monolith. Great. And um, so a lot of the monolithic platforms have invested in kind of API, different levels of APIs across their platforms. Um, what can APIs alone not achieve that microservices and PBCs can? And can you kind of comment on, on this and how some of those platforms are kind of approaching this side of things and the architecture? Yeah, I think one important, uh, and, and especially in, in today's world, uh, you know, time to market or time to value matters a lot. And again, I think it comes back from, it comes from, from you know, this ultimate customer centricity that everyone is aiming for nowadays. You know, the, the acceleration of technology, uh, you know, in innovation cycles, uh, the adoption, the, the speed of adoption for new touch points, new devices to be used, basically puts every business in, into a constant trial and error mode. And, you know, when like 10 years ago, MVP approaches, you know, agile, lean development was, you know, primarily something for digital native companies, startup companies. Now every corporate in the world and, you know, we are, we are now 360 uh, you know, people and, and you know, doing business in the UK, in the Nordics, in the US, in Europe. And we see this more and more that, that uh, you know, large global corporates are all... So, so no one wants, let's put it this way, no one wants a 24-month digital commerce project anymore. No one wants, uh, uh, you know, the seven-digit, you know, budgets to be spent just for, you know, launching a responsive website, right? So this, this constant... Uh, um, push for speed uh, and time to value. I think it's it's this is the most important you know uh, piece and and request that we get. And, and no matter how many API interfaces are created, basically on top of a monolithic system, you know, at the end, the logic itself of each you know module you know has to be uh, tied together and coded. You know, this takes months time. It's very very complex. Also from a total cost of ownership perspective, not just the initial development, but basically 
maintaining it going forward, keeping it upgradable, integrated, right? Uh, you change something left, you know, it pops up uh, uh, somewhere else. Uh, these are the things that make, you know, development slow and make development expensive. And this is the technical view, right? And on the other side, for sales and marketeers who basically, you know, rely on their, you know, IT departments to, you know, uh, deliver fast and and keep keep on trying and rolling back and, you know, doing A-B tests. I think, again, time to value is the most important one. The other one is, you know, the modularity of PBCs, um, you know, enable solutions to be released in production uh, in, in days and not weeks, you know, just because less testing is involved, you know, things are isolated, not not like with microservices, just in a functional view, but also from a, you know, um, requirements point of view. As I said, you have a product management capability, you know, you, you might put some product owners on it, you might pay, uh, put some category management uh, people on it or some domain experts. So they, they are able to test it in an isolated view, you know, from, from a logical point of view, for consistency, for, you know, functional uh, bugs, you know, they might deploy it. So the time to value again, uh, because of the modularity nature of PBCs and decoupleness is, is important. And we saw this, you know, a good example, you know, for us was, you know, during the pandemic, you know, uh, Toyota, uh, which is, you know, a well-known uh, brand, you know, they made use of this modularity in PBC architecture that, that we provide in our platform to create a solution so that, so that car dealers that were closed during the pandemic were able to offer the inventory online um, you know, in, in a region-wide basically marketplace. And this happened in three weeks, right? Because they could, A, select just the PBCs they would need. So basically cherry-picking from, a, you know, 50, 60 PBCs we would offer. They just cherry-pick the ones they would need. The other ones they brought to the table, you know, they were able to uh, have, uh, to, to assign uh, decoupled teams. Uh, so there was one team, you know, that was dealing with the product data. There was another team that was dealing with the OMS piece. They could, you know, test in parallel and, you know, deal with all the preparational business readiness type of work. And the same, you know, uh, was true for the development teams, right? And then, you know, in combination, you kind of end up having a lot of parallel streams rather than sequential ones. And then even a global brand like Toyota, Toyota could have launched in three weeks only. So, um, so Toyota is um, obviously a good practical example of some of this. Um, but do you have any exam or any more examples of a merchant that's been able to use PCs rather than coding? So maybe from a non-technical perspective, um, if you've got any case studies. Yeah, I mean, basically every 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 customer that we have, you know, given the past and PPC, so, so the past nature and the PPC, uh, uh, you know, modularity concept. Would, would always use, uh, you know, PBCs out of the box. You know, not all of them need to be, uh, um, you know, changed or, or modified or extended, right? So the PBCs are very self-sufficient and feature complete in themselves, right? So if you are, uh, if you are, you know, uh, uh, Siemens as a customer and you're launching, uh, you know, MedTech uh, business in Latin America, right? Then it, they could have started or, or they, they did start with, with you know, uh, PBCs around product, around catalog, about around uh, payment, uh, search, uh, uh, the order management piece, right? Uh, almost keeping them, you know, as they are, right? And then just adding their custom, you know, pricing and, and you know, some regional business logic and separated, you know, PBCs on top of that and deployed all of this into one pass cloud running under one SLA, which again is a, you know, huge differentiator, especially for sophisticated and large businesses, 
right? That you don't end up having just a SaaS application where the vendor gives you some nice microservices, but is not taking care of the rest, right, of the landscape. So um, we see this across across all customers, and I guess uh, same is same is uh, uh, true for for Michael on, on the consulting side. Yeah. You can also, um, I, I remember some customers who uh, were uh, starting with a Spryker uh, content management system because they really wanted to get uh, fast and using this MVP approach. But later on, they uh, replace it with a standalone uh, content management system. And this is a kind of good example of how you can grow your business and do it on your pace as your business demands uh, are, are coming, you may start with one PBC and then easily to replace it uh, to add more capabilities in particular area. We've, um, so we, talk, we talked about uh, the Toyota example and one of the key, this is one of the key claims of, of, of taking like APIs, package business capabilities, speed to market. There's another uh, case I saw was interesting I wanted to explore the, you help Globus launch a new curbside pickup solution in 14 days, which for a lot of people would be like, really, how did you do that? So I'd love to hear how, how was it achieved and what integration did it require? So what was the, the solution that enabled that speed? Uh, for Toyota specifically? Uh, I, um, Globus was the uh, case study that I saw. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know for, for Globus, it's you know they benefited from you know the fact that you know much of the required functionality you know was already available in Spryker uh, Cloud Commerce OS, right? So time slot management, you know, blocking automated emails, all the basic you know picking app uh, functionalities for customers, this all was there, right? So this this you know didn't require them, you know, to, to do any significant, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, changes because they they faced a short term setback, you know, during uh, uh, during the the pandemic and and um, so you know in the end leveraging uh, all these you know uh, unified cameras features that, that we provide out of the box and then just taking care of some backend integrations into the systems, you know, exporting orders, you know, integrating with the payment service they had, you know, of course working on the front end. Uh, UX side of things, you know, this made it very, very fast. And now, as you know, they keep on expanding and they keep on rolling new countries and they keep on making, you know, the the the, the click and collect model. They have more sophisticated, adding more features, adding, you know, uh, you know, delivery and 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 you know, a smarter in-store, uh, you know, routing logic for the pickers, etc. Right. So these are things that they add, you know, custom on top of the PPCs, and that again allow them to customize it easier uh, in a in a pass environment rather than this would be possible in a typical SaaS environment. Cool. And, and I think you touched upon this a little bit earlier. So analysts like Garner are speaking about um, this approach, reducing the total cost of ownership of technology. And you talked about time to value. Could we just clarify this a little bit? Um, I guess even even I'm not 100% clear on, on exactly how it reduces um, overall cost apart from, I guess, the speed element. is how, how does this approach take cost out of the equation? Is it just about time or is it other costs that are reduced? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, you need to have the, you know, you need to look at the full, the full picture, right? So, and and I don't, I, I would not play down the time aspect because ultimately, you know, time is the KPI that we measure things in. But you know, uh, the, the oper- it's basically a, a good KPI for um, you know operational operational costs, right? So the the effort, for example, the DevOps and SysAdmin 
uh, you know, effort is significantly lower, right? It's easier to, you know, uh, monitor them. It's easier, easier to put them into a performance monitoring. It's easier to, you know, scale them. It's easier to isolate and protect them from a security point of view. You know, all these things they do play like on a platform level, they play into, into the TCO, right? Over time, um, self goes for, uh, same goes for, you know, um, the, the external dependencies, right? The more external dependencies you would typically have. You know, the more complicated it is for you to manage, to oversee it, to document it. So, you know, if if PBCs are self-contained, you know, and independently, uh, and you enable an independent release, uh, and you, you are reducing, you know, the error rate, release management and dev co DevOps costs again, you know, they 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 would they would drop. PBCs are also a great way of standardizing, uh, for example, APIs. So, like the APIs, the the events, the documentation generation, infrastructure management, you know, this all, all these things can be standardized, can even be brought into a software development kit to basically be covered by tools so that they are either automatically generated or, or controlled. So you're basically also investing in creating a consistent, uh, you know, architecture in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that, you know, makes it again easier for new, new joiners to, uh, reduce the ramp time to learn the application, you know, to make you more independent from individuals, people getting sick, people, you know, leaving the business, you know, uh, this is, this is very, very hard if you're having a monolithic, uh, you know, application or, or, you know, something which is very, very microservices, highly distributed, you know, I think the cost of, of managing it uh, for PBC is significantly uh, lower. Again, of course, you can you know continuously deploy. You can continuously test, right? So so you can uh, you do have have all these little uh, uh, quick builds. Uh, um, you know, I think in combination, uh, then the, you know the test cycles are also play into it. I think all of it in the end uh, uh, helps helps to break down the, the the total cost of ownership for you over time. Mm -hmm. Just to add to this, I, I want to refer uh, uh, reference name of your podcast, which is uh, replatforming. And we all know that uh, replatforming is a really huge expense, uh, big undertaking, uh, quite risky. So uh, if you have ability to replatform only small part of your functionality, only one or two PBCs versus everything, that will be a huge uh, uh, cost saving. And, and typically, what type of business is this approach suiting? Who are you mainly working with? Is is it larger, um, sophisticated organisations that have, you know, really uh, quite specific requirements and where a standard platform might not be suitable, or does it suit a diff lots of different types of business? No, I don't think it. I don't think it has something to do with size. Again, right? It's it's a. You know, but by definition, as I said, I think everyone understands that you know, monolithic applications don't make sense. Now the question is, is you know, uh, how deep you want to go on this uh, modularization uh, topic. And and I think the industry is clearly, especially the composable commerce, you know, terminology, the best of breed strategies, clearly point into this PBC kind of direction. If you are you know, if you're a Netflix type of business, you know, or Zalando type of business, you know, maybe the the the, the top one two percent in the world, and you can afford, and you have the wise and depth uh, team wise to support a microservice architecture, right? So you you do have multiple product owners, multiple testers. You can slice your team in vertical teams. You have the capabilities to orchestrate and manage dependencies between services. You know, to to uh, oversee the the you know scope to be integrated on an from an architecture point of view. Uh, the, you, you do have the DevOps capabilities to manage and orchestrate and run multiple services. If all of this is there, 
right? Then it makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, typically this one, two percent of the companies would get uh, significant, significant boosts uh, uh, out of this uh, microservice concept for the rest, which is again, right, 95 plus percent of the of the world. Uh, I think the PPC concept is is the more natural one because it aggregates the features better. It, it's not you know that small. It makes it easier to, from a functional point of view, requirements management point of view, to oversee it. And still, PPCs give you it's kind of in between, right? It gives you all the all the pros of microservices. It's still decoupled. It's still dependent. You can deploy. You can test, but it's not as small and as micro. And you know this is why we have chosen this approach, uh, you know, versus um, uh, some other vendors who still are on on the on the microservices path. And if um, if anybody uh, wants to reach out and find out a bit more, or, or if there's anything that 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 hasn't made sense to people, how how can they reach out and learn more? Yeah, I mean, we 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 are expanding, you know, uh, very very fast in the, into the UK market, into the Nordics, into the US. Uh, so you know, we have people on the ground uh, doing significant investments. Um, so you know, open for every for every you know customer who uh, you know might be interesting in, interested in building a sophisticated you know, transactional uh, business, whatever this is, unified cameras, B two B enterprise marketplace are the things that we focus on a lot. Right, we do have people there. Uh, partners are also very welcome if, if you know they, they have some interest in the portfolio. So I think you know go on spryker.com, You know, just get in touch with us, and we'll put you in contact with with the local teams. Um, you know, we are ready to make significant investments. You know, uh, both in partners and you know in customers, uh, and you know are very very excited about you know the opportunity. So um, yeah, I think spryker.com is a you know destination uh, is, is definitely a good, a good a good starting point. Or just ping me on LinkedIn, I think, and then I can also help to root. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much, uh, Boris and Michael, for, for coming on and for answering our questions. Hopefully, people have got a bit more of a, a flavour about yeah, the the, the uh, role of unified commerce and APIs, microservices, package business capabilities. Hopefully, we've helped you to, to, to kind of jog and bust a bit of that. Um, if there's anything still not clear, feel free to reach out. We're always happy to, to carry on the conversation. So thanks for listening. Um, we hope it's been interesting and useful. And uh, Boris and Michael, um, thanks for coming on and have a good day. Thank you, James, for having us. Thank you, James.